And so now we'll trust the Lord to guide us through these next two or three hours of preaching. And uh, <laughs> Romans chapter 7, if you have your copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 7. And if you have your cell phone handy, if you're going to use it for your Bible, maybe switch it to silent mode, that way it doesn't ring or anything like that. We don't want to take any chances of messing up <laughs> the sound system. So Romans chapter number 7, Romans chapter number 7. In the world there are two religions and only two, and that's works for salvation or works for some kind of eternal rest, and then there's grace, free and sovereign grace. Now we are saved from God's judgment on us by faith in Jesus, the Jesus who loved us and died for us. And God saves sinners from His judgment upon sin through Christ alone. Now, this is very important. If you don't get anything else that I say this morning, I want you to understand this. You're a sinner. And when I say you're a sinner, I mean all of y'all. That's the plural of y'all, in case you didn't know. All of y'all are sinners. You've transgressed against God. You say, well, I don't, you say, you say, well, I'm not really aware of it. Well, if we take the law of God and measure you by God's perfect standard, you're going to come up short. I guarantee, as the man said for back in the day. So you're a sinner, which means you are estranged from God. You are in a negative status with God. A negative status with God. And there's nothing that you can do to remedy that status. You're dead in trespasses and sin. You've entered a status of deadness to God. You can't remedy it. The only remedy for it, the only, the only way to change your status with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. So you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe he is the Son of God and he rose from the dead. That changes your status from a negative status to a positive status with God. And that positive status is so glorious because when you put your faith in God, God imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means you receive from God's Son the righteousness that Christ possesses, which is the very same righteousness that God possesses. So through faith in Jesus Christ, God imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you so that you are now in a status with God where you are as holy as, as God is. You've been justified. You've been declared forensically innocent of all sin for all time. Now, if you, and, But you have to do that for yourself. Your mom and daddy can't put your put faith in Jesus for you, although as a parent, I wish I could believe on behalf of my children. Don't you? I'd do it. I'd be, I'd believe, I'd be, I'd be believing on behalf of everybody I met. But that's not the way it works. You have to do it yourself. You have to do it yourself. Nobody can do it for you. So, so you need to put your faith in Christ so you can have your sins forgiven, so you can be saved and on your way to heaven. If you don't get anything else that I say, I want to be sure you get that. Because this morning I'm going to talk to you about being a Christian and wrestling with sin in your body. Now, today's passage, Paul is telling us once again that believers are free from condemnation through Jesus Christ. Believers are released from bondage because they have died and been resurrected with Christ. Now, this, is a, this is something we're going to talk about a little more in depth. Now, what I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you this morning about four headings, and I'll give them to you. I'm going to talk to you about the freedom that comes, the freedom of death, not freedom from death, the freedom of death, all right? The second thing is I want to talk about our death with Christ, our death with Christ, and then thirdly, how we should feel about the law of God, 
and then what it's like to live with the Holy Spirit and with sin in the same body. It's a pretty, 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 pretty ambitious, <laughs> pretty ambitious sermon. But let's take a reading now from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 1, chapter 7, verse 1 to 14. This is the word of the Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Let me give this caveat these next two verses. If you're looking for the Christian teaching about divorce and remarriage, this is not the passage to look for that teaching. This is, talks about divorce and remarriage as an illustration. We're not to take verses 2 and 3 here and say this is what the Christian teaching of divorce and remarriage is. This is not the passage for that. 1 Corinthians 7 is the passage for that. This is Paul is using it, he's using it, marriage as an illustration. Okay? So with that caveat, let's read on. <clears throat> the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For if a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So, that the, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good? Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me, that through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word, and I commend this sermon into the hands of the Holy Spirit. In verses 1 through 3, Paul gives us an illustration, an illustration about the freedom that comes from death. Now, as you read this, Paul takes something that everybody understands. He takes marriage. Marriage is something that's long established in human culture, long established by God's divine plan. And what he says here is that under normal circumstances, a man and a woman are married until one of them dies. And death is what frees you from the marriage. Now, my dad, growing up my whole life, he would always say this. 
I never thought about divorcing my wife, but I thought about murder a few times. <laughs> That's what my dad would say. And I know none of you, nobody here would ever want to say anything like that. But uh, that, that's, that's ba- the basic idea, is that death frees you. There's nothing as liberating as death. That's why sometimes people are seduced into committing suicide. Because they feel like, oh, there's liberty here. You're going through financial pressures, social pressures, health pressures, and you feel like, oh, if I could just punch out, if I could just get out of this life, then all my problems would be over. So there is a freedom, there's a, an attractiveness to, to, that comes from death of being set free. Now, the illustration here is that for the wife to really be, belong to another husband, her first husband must die, and so death brings this freedom. Now, in the same way, if you've been released from your husband through death, if he dies, you're free to marry another. Now, spiritually, what Paul is talking about here is that we have died to the law, who was our first husband in a picture, But now that husband has passed away, and now we can be married to a new husband, and that new husband, in a sense, in a figure, is Christ. Is Christ. So this is the illustration of the freedom that comes from death. She is free to move on if her husband dies. So, but then you have verses four to six, where the apostle uses this word likewise, or in the same way. In the same way, he says that believers died with Christ on the cross. Now, this is what it means here when it says, through the body of Christ. Likewise, my brothers, you have also, you also have died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. So he says, in the same way, believers died with Christ on the cross, on the cross and that is a reality. Now, this can only happen Because all of God's elect people, all of his chosen people, whatever words you want to use to describe this, everybody who God knew was going to become a Christian in the future and in the past, they died with Christ on the cross because Christ was the representative of his people. Now remember in Romans chapter 5, we have this teaching about original sin, where it says that we're all guilty of sin because we've all sinned in Adam. Even though we were not in the garden ourselves present, to commit that sin. But we were present in the garden because we were in Adam. That's our father. And sometimes they talk about this in in theology. Sometimes they'll talk about uh, federal headship. Is that Adam, acting as the federal head of all man, he sinned against God and and brought condemnation or guilt upon all men. In the authorized version it says that we're condemned, we're condemned even though we have not committed the same, we have not sinned in the same similitude of Adam. Let me take a breath. I'm talking too fast. I'm thinking about how long the sermon is and how much time I got. But hey, how many of you guys are on vacation? You got all day. <laughs> so Adam is that federal head who brings original sin to all people. We all get that. Nobody disagrees with that. Everybody's, everybody's down with that. But then there's also the federal headship of Jesus Christ. Is that Christ, as the second Adam, he also represents a people and he acts on their behalf. Adam acted on our behalf in the garden and damned us all. Christ acts on behalf of people and he saves them. He's their representative. Now, we know from the scripture not everybody goes to heaven. That's... 
That's as plain as the nose on your face, my dad would say. But some people are going to go to heaven. And the people for whom Christ died are going to go to heaven. Now, we, we, get, we, can, we can start talking about election and who's elect and who's not elect. And uh, one of my dad's buddies would say it like this. Election is none of our business. We're not supposed to go around trying to figure out who's elect and who's supposed to go to heaven and who's not. That's not our business. Evangelism is our business. The great Charles Spurgeon, he said, if all of God's elect had yellow stripes on their back, I'd go around lifting shirt tails. But we're supposed to be preaching the gospel to every creature. Every person needs to hear the gospel. And those who are supposed to believe will believe, and those who aren't won't. That's, 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 in a, that's a biblical approach to that whole idea, in my opinion. So you, now, now I, see your, I can see your mind turning a little bit, thinking, I don't, I don't think I agree with that. So let's talk about what it means if, if we died on the cross with Christ. Now Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. I'm going to quote from the authorized version. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. So Christ is our representative of all who would believe and who had believed. He dies on the cross and he die, he pays the debt for sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ really becoming sinful, being counted as sinful, and dying on the cross in our place. And everybody who, for whom he died, died with him. So when Paul, Paul talks about this, as he talks about the law, how the law killed him, you say, well, Paul doesn't seem to be, he's, he's talking, you're right, so he's not dead. But the, the law showed him that status, that negative status he had. And the gospel is where he finds his positive status. Now, there's a lot of verses to look at, and I'll show them to you. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I didn't quote that quite right. Some of you uh, Bible scholars probably noticed it. Galatians chapter 2, <laughs> verse number 20. Listen to the reading from God's Word. I have been, this is Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, I was crucified on the cross. How could he be crucified on the cross? Because Paul was present with Christ on the cross because Paul, because Christ was Paul's representative. Now, do you guys know how representative government works? So if we, have, if we elect somebody and we send them to the, the state capitol or to Washington, D.C., we elect them to go and represent us, right? And decisions they make on our behalf, do they affect us? Certainly they do. So it's the same idea. Christ as the representative of his people. Now, this in Christ business is fascinating. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4. And listen to this reading from God's Word. Paul writing again, Ephesians 1, 4, Even as He, the He is God, chose us in Him, the Him is Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in, before him, in love He predestinated us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And my friends, I have written down here a dozen scriptures. It just goes on and on and on and on 
about being in Christ, in our connection with Christ, a real vital connection. Christ dying on the cross, paying the real price for real sins, for real people. But he didn't just stay dead, he rose again from the dead. So we, who are believers in Christ, we are buried with him, we died with him on the cross, and we have risen with him too. We've been resurrected. There's that great reading in John chapter 5, verse 24, where Jesus Christ our Lord says this, Those that have heard my words and believed on me have passed from death unto life through Christ. And then in verse 25, Christ talks about this, this current spiritual resurrection. The, day, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear his voice and live. So in the same way, Paul says, that believers, they died with Christ on the cross. And they, we died with Christ so that we could belong to another. Because under the law we were condemned, we are held in bondage to that original husband. But we died, so now we're free to be married to another. We belong to sin, but now we are been, we've been set free. Now we belong to the risen Christ. Now we belong to the, the final and true Adam. And this relationship creates within us, Paul says, a desire and ability to bear fruit to God. Now, my friends, relationships change us. Have you noticed how relationships change you? I've illustrated this a hundred times with Valerie. When Valerie and I got married, she came into my house, and what did she do? She messed it all up. I had to have more washcloths and more dishes and pictures on the wall, the whole nine yards. Relationships affect us. Now, if you are here and you can remember what it was like to be a teenager, say amen. I can just barely remember myself. <laughs> and I'm not sure <laughs> what caused that. But I know that I had some friends who, when I became friends with them, it opened up a whole new world to me. I had this one particular friend who was very popular, and I really was not too popular. But when he became my homeboy, a whole world of opportunity opened up to me. The girls looked at me differently. The boys looked at me differently. The police looked at me differently. <laughs> the whole, my, my whole world changed because of a relationship that I had relationships change us. And when you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that relationship, it changes you. It has a positive effect on you. It changes the way you are. That's how relationships work. And this relationship we have with God through Christ causes us to think differently about life and, and almost and really about everything. Uh, one... one uh, one Presbyterian commentator, he says that when I became a Christian, my life went from being very simple to becoming very complicated. Because after he became a Christian, he lives with a new reality, a new understanding. So when he looks at people, he sees that everybody he knows and meets is going to go somewhere for eternity. They're going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. He realizes there, there's something bigger going on in the world. And my friends, as we watch this great nation slide further and further down, further and further down, it looks to me like very few people have any brains in their head. It's like, it's like, it's like can't you see the lunacy? I say, well, now what's, what's the cause of that? It's spiritual darkness. It's wickedness in high places. It's, it's philosophy of, this, of the dark world that's at work. 
So there's these things that are, that are going on. Now, Paul says the old life that we had before we had with relationship with God, that produced death. But the new life produces life. And then in that passage there, in verses 7 through, I'm sorry, let me see where I am. In verse 5, Paul talks about how the law works. The law, when he heard the law, it arouses sinful passions. Because that's what the law does. If I, if, when I was a kid, we went to this uh, museum, and on the ceiling there are all kinds of pictures of naked women. You ever been to a museum like that? That's where preacher's kids go in the summer. <laughs> we were at Thomas Jefferson's home in, in Mana, Mana, was it? Monticello, in outside Charlottesville, Virginia. And we, live, we lived real close to there. And so you walk in there, and there's on the ceiling, there's these paintings of uh, women of, in various states of undress. And then in Hot Springs, Arkansas, they have these, uh, these bathhouses where the hot springs are at. And they have the same thing on the ceiling, and they have paintings of women in various stages of undress. You know what that means? They're naked. Not naked. <laughs> naked. And so we go into this place. My dad's there, and it's a, it's a bunch of preachers. My father's a pastor, incidentally. And we go into this place, and the men, they go, wow, this is beautiful. Ooh. And, of course, they're all preachers at the time. You know, they're all, they all got to lay down the law. So my dad says, don't look at the ceiling. What do you want to do when somebody says that? <laughs> well, I can't, I can't do it while my dad's right there, so I kind of got to go, tie my shoe. <laughs> What'd you say, Dad? <laughs> Trying to find a way to break the law, to break the rule, because that's what we want to do. When the law is read, you immediately want to break the law. Speed limit, 55. Is there any speed sl- that, that feels slower than 55? If you've been on the road driving 55 and feels like you're just crawling down the interstate or the highway, so you're like, well, maybe 57. That feels pretty good. 59 feels better. 65 feels a lot better. I mean, you guys know how it goes. When the law comes in, it arouses our passions. It arouses our passions. A wife makes a plate of cookies. She puts them on the table, and she says, these are for later. What's a husband want to do? He's going he's gonna to go get one. You guys... I was going to tell a joke, but I'm running out of time. <clears throat> I'll tell you the joke. <laughs> this, uh, this guy, he was, uh, he was in his bedroom. He was dying. He's on death's door. He's fixing to check out, fixing to pass over, fixing to cross Jordan, you know. And he smells the, the smell of chocolate chip cookies coming up from the kitchen. And he's like, oh, wow, man, she loves me. She's made my favorite cookie. So he crawls down the hallway, down the stairs, and reaches up on the kitchen table. Right as he's about to grab the cookie, she, his wife shouts, those are for the wake. <laughs> don't, don't touch them. <laughs> now, when the, when, the law, when the law of God is, is given, when it's read, when it's preached, it arouses sinful passions. I wouldn't be surprised if right now in this room sometimes, when you've heard the law of God preached, all those prohibitions of Scripture, I wouldn't be surprised if when you've heard those things preached that you found yourself all of a sudden wanting to do those things because your passions are aroused by the law. This is what Paul says. Paul says, I would have never known what it was to be a covetous beast except the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But then when he, he, then he, he heard the law, thou shalt not covet, what's he find himself doing? He's coveting. He says, the law revives, and I died. The law 
slayed me. But not the law, sin. The law arouses, the, uh, it fertilizes the sinful passions, you might say. Now, God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And friends, believe it or not, only 40 days after God gave the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel, only 40 days later, are breaking all ten of the commandments with gusto. So the law does not create righteousness. The law reveals unrighteousness. All right? Now, in verse number 6, the apostle says this, But now we are released from the law, having died. Now, this is important. Don't forget this, having died. He doesn't say we're released from the law, having believed. He says we died to the law. The law has no hold on us because we're dead. We're dead to it because we died with Christ. We died with Christ. Now, the way we live now is not after the law. We're not legal. We're not, we're not law livers. We're not law keepers. We live by the Spirit, not by the written code. But what is the new way of the Spirit? What is that exactly? Does that mean that we just kind of feel our way through life doing this and doing that? Whatever we feel like the Spirit says? One of the most frustrating things you can experience as a pastor is when people come to you and say, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this. And what they're telling you is contrary to Scripture. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again because I think it's good. A friend of mine back in Lawton, Oklahoma, the pastor of First Baptist Church, he had a man in his church who came to him and said, you know, uh, he'd just gotten married to his second wife. He got divorced from his first wife. And, and my friend was talking to him, and the guy said, you know, I committed adultery on my first wife because the Holy Spirit led me to do that. Because I wasn't happy in a cold, sexless marriage. And, you know, God wants me to be happy, right? And that's true in a sense. God wants you to be happy. So he says, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Lord led me to, you know, Brenda. And we fell in love and, you know, we committed adultery. But then I broke my marriage and now I divorced my first wife and married Brenda. And now we're happy as pigs in slop. I mean... This guy said, that's what, he said, the Spirit led me to do it. And that's the most extreme illustration I can think of. But oftentimes as a Christian pastor, sometimes people come and say, I feel like the Spirit's leading me to do this or do this or do this. And you're like, now wait a minute. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know? John MacArthur says, is there a red light that goes off? <laughs> and you know it's the Holy Spirit. You don't know it's the Holy Spirit. The only way you can know it's the Holy Spirit leading you to do something is if it is in agreement with Scripture. Because my friends, the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, says that all Scripture is breathed out by who? God. So this is the Holy Spirit's words too. And that's how we, we measure those things, how we check ourselves to be sure we're doing the right things. So how do we, what does this mean to walk in the new way of the Spirit? What is this new way? Well, first of all, Our new life is not lived under a probationary status. When you have come to faith in Christ, when you've been born again, from that day forward, you are a child of God, and that cannot be changed. You're not under probation. You're not in a status that you can lose. There's no violation you can can commit that will cause Christ to cast you away. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives to me come to me, and them that come to me I will in no wise cast out. I will never cast out. We're secure. We live as the sons of God and are able to serve Him from a permanently positive status because we've been justified. That's the first thing of the Spirit. This new life is not lived under a probationary status. Secondly, in this new way of life, we have more liberty 
new rules and better principles. Now, in the Old Testament, under the law, you can't eat catfish. Because you can't eat a fish that doesn't have a scale. Aren't you glad that's wrong? Aren't you glad that's passed away? I don't know if you guys like catfish up here, but down south, catfish is the Cadillac of fish. I mean, you eat them. Good fish. Uh, people around here are always talking about walleye. And I've only had walleye one time, and I don't want to hurt, break your heart, but catfish is better. <laughs> in, my, <clears throat> in my opinion, all right? So these new, we have more liberty, new rules, and better principles. So as you have the, the law of Christ, there's more flexibility in it because all of the New Testament commands, all the directives, are the kind of commands that can be lived be carried out in any culture on the face of the earth, any time in history, any place in the world. They're they're better. New rules, better principles. That's the the way of the Spirit, in contrast with the the written code. This new way is better. Of course, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. The third way, the third new way of the Spirit, is the service we render to God emanates from the Holy Spirit within us in a way that it didn't work in the Old Testament. Now, Old Testament believers had the Holy Spirit too, but under the New Covenant, there is a different way that the Holy Spirit works in and through us. If you have any doubts about that, read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, 12, 13, and 14, or read Romans chapter 12. You'll see that the Spirit works in a way in the New Covenant era that He didn't work in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Covenant. Now, this new service for God is not based in legal obedience where we stand in danger of judgment, but this is a voluntary service that we render for God, we render out of love for God and for Christ, which is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, there's going to be some manifestations of His presence. Manifestation of His presence, just like, you know, this is dumb. This is so dumb. So, I like to fish. Do you believe that? Now, how do you, how do you know? Because I run my mouth about it all the time. So it's in there and it comes out, right? There's other things. I feel sorry for people who go to church. I really do. I really feel sorry for them. Because you've got to put up with preachers. And you know what preachers talk about? The things they're interested in. How many, how many of you don't give, don't give a hoot? about fishing. Leave. (laughs) But you have to put up with it, don't you? There he goes, another fish story, you know. So, but but that's what's in me, right? So it comes out, just like the things you guys have interest, interest in. I was looking around the room, I see people have interest in different things, and what's in you, so it comes out and it comes out of you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, there's going to be fruit or evidences of it. Now, verses 7 through 14, the question is, how should we feel about the law now? If the law condemned me, if the law was was revealing my sinfulness, sinfulness, arousing my passions, how should I feel about the law now? This is a natural question. And Paul addresses this question because the people to whom he's writing at Rome are partly Jews and partly Gentiles. And the Jews are very law-oriented, the Gentiles not so much. And the Gentiles, to the, he's writing to at Rome, these Gentiles, 
They've had teaching from the Scripture, but only from the Old Testament, only through the Jewish lens. So these Gentiles, they were attracted to Judaism because of its monotheism, its morality, etc. And so now Paul is saying, well, those principles are not complete. There's something new here. And so sometimes in the book of Romans and in Galatians and in Colossians, the viewpoint can be taken that Paul hates the law because he rags on it so much. He says that you don't need the law. And sometimes the accusation can be made by Paul that he's, he's anti-Semitic because he's, he's so strongly against the distinctiveness of Judaism. So how should we feel about the law now? How should we feel about the law? Well, verse 7, Paul says, the law is good. And he says the law is good because it showed us our sin. And he says that's good because that's a diagnostic tool that reveals the problem. When I was uh, learning how to do personal evangelism, we did evangelism explosion and D. James Kennedy, he had these diagnostic questions. And so I'll ask Valerie because I know Valerie's a Christian. And so, so you knock on a door and a lady like Valerie opens the door and you say, hello, I'm Terry. And she says, I'm Valerie. And I ask her, I say, can I talk to you? She says, yes. And I say, we're talking to people about being born again, about becoming Christians. And I say, are you going to heaven? And Valerie says, yes, she's going to heaven. Are you ready to be baptized? <laughs> she says, yes, I'm going to heaven. And so I say to her a diagnostic question. I say to her, if you were standing at the gate of heaven, what reason would you give to God or to St. Peter, whoever it is, what reason would you give for being, for being allowed into heaven? Now, what she, her answer to that question is going to tell me where her faith is at. And so if she says to me, well, I've been baptized, I've been a really good girl, and I'm married to a preacher. Those are all noble things. Those are all good things. Those are all wonderful things. But is that, what does that tell us her faith is in? Any, yeah, anything but Jesus. Anything but Jesus. It's a diagnostic question. So immediately, I know what to say to her in response to that. I'm going to say Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so the same age boast. Blah. That's what I'm going to do. Because I've diagnosed the problem. You take your car down to the car, to the auto shop, they hook it to that little Scantron thing, and it prints out a little code. They look up the code, and they say, oh, it's a, it's a 0121. And they look it up in their little code book, and says, oh, needs new owner. <laughs> it's a diagnostic tool. The law diagnoses the problem, and drives us to the remedy. That's what Paul says in Galatians. So the law is good because it shows us our sinfulness. And if we know our sinful condition, then we can find a Savior. Verses 8-11, through Paul says that the law reveals sin, and sin slays us. The law doesn't kill us, the sin kills us. In verses 12-14, through he says the law reveals sin, so that we can undeniably see our, filthy, our filthiness and also comprehend the full magnitude of sin and our bondage to it, which causes us to look outside of ourselves for salvation. And this is a prayer I pray a lot for people, that the Lord would help them to see their true condition. Their true condition. Most of you, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm 99% sure your problem is self-righteousness. You don't think you are bad enough to need a Savior because you measure yourself by the other people in your life. You measure yourself by your, by your crazy mom, 
by your wacko dad, by your loony ex-husband or ex-wife, or by some nut you work with. You measure yourself by them and you say, I'm I'm not near as bad as they are. They need Jesus. That's self-righteousness. That's where most people are. Self-righteousness. But the law reveals what we are when when we're really measured by it. Well, so what? So what? Well, born-again people, they've been freed from the condemnation that the law brings because of it shows us our unrighteousness. And the freedom that we, we get through that knowledge is through Jesus Christ. It shows us we cannot save ourselves. It shows us that we, we are unrighteous, and it drives us to Christ. We have to have a Savior. We realize we have a need, and we go to Him. And so now the law has shown us these things. The law has shown us that we need, that we are unrighteous. It shows us, we, it shows us our true condition. It shows us we need a, a true Savior, Jesus Christ. The law also shows us that we need the Holy Spirit. Now, the last section here is verses 15 to 25. And I'm not going to talk about this very much. I just wanted to read it to you so you can kind of understand something. Because here under this section, Paul tells us what it's like to live with the Holy Spirit and sin in the same body. So if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you also have sin inside of you. You have these two things inside of you, and they're always, they're always in conflict. Always in conflict. And here, here's what it's like to live this life. The new relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ is a real and true and enduring relationship. But the old relationship we have with this effects are still there. Now, I can, th- I can think of a good way to illustrate that, but I don't, I don't want to do it because I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. The old relationship we have with the flesh still affects us because indwelling sin is still part of our lives. But the power of that sin to bring us under condemnation has been destroyed. And what that means is that even though you're born again, you still have a sin nature. And let's be honest. Have you ever given in to the sin nature and done a, and done a sin since you've been a Christian? See, I put my hand up. That was your signal. <laughs> you've been a Christian and you've done a sin? I have. And sometimes people say, well, I never wanted to. I don't know where that kind of lingo comes from. Because I've wanted to do the sins. Sometimes, sometimes, not very often, it's, you know, I didn't, mean, I, I didn't realize it was a sin. But, I mean, I've been a Christian so long, I know everything's a sin. <laughs> but we still commit sins, but we're not, we don't fall under condemnation. Because we've been justified. There is, no, there, is now, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, right? So, these next few verses, I'm just going to read them, and then we're going to sing and leave. It's verses 15 to 25. This is Paul describing his own conflict with, with himself. This is the greatest Christian who's ever lived, the Apostle Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, a man who received direct revelation from God. And here's what he says about this struggle that he has. He's, he's just and still a sinner. Verse 15, we'll read through verse 25, and then we'll put a name into it. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree, I agree with the law that it is good. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is the conflict. This ongoing struggle with indwelling sin. I find in there is a law in my members. This struggle is a real pain in the neck, isn't it? It's a real problem. And it's going to be that way until we get new bodies, until Jesus returns. When this is not a maybe, this is a definite surety. Where is victory over, over sin completely and totally? It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to look into your holy word. I pray these words will ring, will, will stick with us a long time. I pray most of all, Father, that if there are people here who are not Christians, that they'll look to Christ and be saved, calling upon Him as their Lord and Savior. Without delay, maybe even now while I'm, while I'm talking, they could cry out from a heart of faith, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they'll find that you are a willing and ready Savior. We pray these things in the name that's above all names, Christ our Lord. Amen.